Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 25. David awoke Naya and Jalil. Everyone up and out, he said. We gotta leave, right now. Huh? Naya stretched, blinking. Her voice was scratchy. What's going on? We've got a guide to help us, he said. Remember the raven? She's waiting for us outside. Understanding flashed in Nia's eyes. She threw off the blanket. Jalil followed suit. It took them less than five minutes to dress and grab their bags. They moved the dresser to serve as a barricade and opened the door. The raven awaited them on the walkway. It watched them, black eyes glinting with a sentience that was downright creepy. I'll be damned, Jalil said. I remember you guys telling me about this bird, but seeing it, that's something else. The raven cawed and strutted across the yard. Let's move, David said. His watch read 6.30. Rosy light glowed in the sky. Dew dampened the grass. Seen in the light of day, the Pathfinder was a mess. It looked as if the vehicle had been competing in a mud race. David made a mental note to get the truck washed, and then almost laughed at himself for thinking about such a thing at a time like this. As they piled inside the SUV, the bird launched into the air. Hey, it's flying away, Jalil said. Don't lose it. We won't, David said. He made a U-turn in the driveway. They rolled across the dirt lane. The raven circled above the cabin, then descended until it was only a few feet above the vehicle, and perhaps ten feet ahead. The bird guided them along the winding path, through the hilly woods. I wonder where it's leading us, Naya said. You've asked a million dollar question, David said. I have no idea where it's going, but it has to be important. Shafts of daylight pierced the overhanging trees. Ahead, a squirrel that seemed about to venture into view vanished into the roadside shrubbery when it spotted the raven, as though identifying it as a bird of prey to be avoided. They followed the bird out of the woods and onto the shaded country lane that intersected the mouth of the cabin's driveway. The bird soared west, towards the town's residential area. The raven rose higher into the air, but remained in clear view. She's taking us to the vampire's lair, Jalil said from the back. I bet you a thousand bucks. That's where she's leading us. David looked at Naya, and she nodded. Jalil had voiced the thought that had entered David's mind, and he was sure Naya had hoped for the same thing. Let's not get our hopes up, David said, probably more to himself than to anyone. We'll just have to see. You know that's where she's taking us, Jalil said. Can't you feel it? I feel like I used to right before a big football game. Like something huge is about to happen. Whatever it is, we gotta be ready, David said. He flexed his fingers on the steering wheel. Nervous energy sang through his blood. The raven wheeled through the air like a toy glider. Following, they turned on the main street. In the morning light, the area looked worse than it did last night. Debris was everywhere. Windows were shattered, glass littering the pavement. The traffic lights continued to stare like dead eyes. 
But there was no pack of dogs blocking the streets. No human carcass lying on the ground. There were no signs of life at all. It might have been a forgotten movie set at a bankrupt Hollywood studio. I hardly recognize the place, Naya said. Her voice teetered on a sob. She covered her mouth. David could not think of anything to say. No words of comfort will reassure her. The worst was yet to come. They left the business district. The raven began to descend. A tall, wrought iron fence that fronted the road indicated their destination. And when David saw the bird swoop inside the enclosure, he realized that he should not have been surprised. Where else could this nightmarish adventure have concluded? He drove through the open gates of Hillside Cemetery. The raven alighted on a stone monument just inside the entrance, in the cool shade of a maple tree. David parked nearby, on the shoulder of the narrow asphalt path that curved through the graveyard. This is it, Naya said. I don't get it. Me either. David's heart drummed. But let's check it out. You want to bring King with us, Jalil said, or leave him in here? He's coming, David said. He's part of the team, too. They climbed out of the truck. A wind whispered through the cemetery like a forlorn spirit. Morning mist shrouded the headstones, and the boughs of the large elms and maples drooped, as if burdened with sorrow. David and the others strapped their bags over their shoulders. Each of them drew a weapon. David and I had handguns, and Jalil carried a shotgun. Standing atop the monument, the raven regarded them. David approached the bird. Why did you bring us here, he said. Staring at him, the raven cawed. But the telepathic moment that he had experienced at the cabin did not repeat itself. King's ears pricked. The dog growled. He sent us something, Naya said. But what? King started to trot through the grass. Let's follow him, David said. He looked at the raven, but the bird only watched them, impassively. They jogged in order to keep pace with the dog. They followed King in a twisting route around the headstones and monuments. David read some of the inscriptions on the graves. Most of the people had been buried decades ago. Farther ahead, deep in the heart of the cemetery, standing atop a slight hill, a dark mausoleum rose out of the fog, like a temple to some ancient god. King halted, but the dog continued to growl. He glowered at the crypt as though it was his mortal enemy. Oh my god, Naya said. I get it. What is it? David and Jalil said simultaneously. Edward Mason was buried in there, Naya said. That's the Mason family mausoleum. Remember what Franklin told us, David? David nodded. I remember. There's a shelter under the crypt. Mason had it built so we could hide there if Union troops ever invaded the area. Are you for real? Jalil said. That thing leads underground? For real, Naya said. Think about it, David said. What a perfect hideaway for a vampire. A sanctuary amongst the dead. No, not all dead, Naya said. Look. Like ghosts, large shapes emerged from the mist around the mausoleum. Vampiric hounds. King was barking. David, Naya, and Jalil had raised their firearms. Three bloodsucker hounds gathered in front of the crypt, like modern-day counterparts of Cerberus, the mythical, vicious dog that guarded the gates of the underworld. Sick of these fucking mutts, Jalil said. They act like they own the damn town. Cold sweat plastered David's shirt to his torso. He was frightened beyond reason, and they had not confronted Diallo yet. He had to buckle down to handle this. He had to. Listen, we know the guns won't kill these mutts, David said. At best, they'll knock them down temporarily. We hit them with enough firepower to paralyze them, then we move on inside. Let's not waste our energy and resources trying to kill them. Remember, we take care of Diallo, and every creature under his power will die, too. All right. Sounds like a plan, Naya said. Her fingers tightened on her gun. Let's do this. 
The monster canines broke into a run, scattering in various directions. They're going to try and trap us in a circle, David shouted. He swung around. The hounds dashed through the cemetery like trained soldiers. Shit, those suckers were smart. Everyone, spread out and take a different side. I'm out front. Naya, you get the right. Jalil, grab the left. Go! They positioned themselves as he commanded. King remained at David's side, snapping furiously. A huge, vampiric canine charged straight towards them, its eyes ablaze with supernatural hunger. David fired the thirty-eight and missed terribly, the bullet ricocheting off a headstone. The beast leapt high and tackled him. He slammed to the grass. The monster dog's strong paws dug into his chest. Saliva poured from his lips, and a rank stench spewed from his mouth. I can't let it bite me. If it bites me, I'm through. The gun had popped out of his grasp when he had fallen. He was defenseless. Snarling, the vampiric mutt dipped its large head to tear into his neck. He would have been finished had it not been for King. King jumped onto the creature and tore into the back of the hound's neck. The creature shrieked. It fell off of David's chest. David rolled over. His gun had fallen beside a headstone. The inscription bore his first name. No death today, damn it. Not for me. He grasped the gun. The vampire dog was trying, unsuccessfully, to throw off King. The German shepherd had locked his jaws onto the creature's neck. David scrambled forward, took aim, and shot the monster in the head. It dropped to the grass with a whimper, legs kicking spasmodically. Saliva glistening on his lips, King seemed to grin at David. Good boy, David said. Gunfire rang through the graveyard. David turned to see how the others were doing, and that was when Naya screamed. She lay on the ground, clutching her leg. A vampiric dog lay on a heap in the grass nearby, blood leaking from its breast. It bit me before I could finish him. Naya gritted her teeth. Blood seeped through the gash in her jeans, high on her thigh. She pounded her fist against the ground. Damn it, I don't believe this. David knelt beside her. Jalil had just dropped the final vampiric mutt with his shotgun, and he hurried to kneel beside her too. David touched her shoulder. Her skin was hot, and she was trembling. He might be more frightened than she was. He could not bear the thought of losing her. He could handle anything else, but not that. How do you feel, he said. David, I'm not going to turn into one of them, she said savagely. Hell no. We're going to finish this before that happens. But you're going to start getting weak, Jalil said. His eyes were wet. When that vampire poison goes into your blood, it numbs you, knocks you out. Then we better finish while I still have the strength, Naya said. She began to push herself to her feet. David tried to assist her, but she brushed off his hand. Don't baby me, honey. Please. I'm with you on this all the way. I'm not going out like a punk. Let's move while these mutts are down. Let me at least put something on your wound, David said. There's a first aid kit in the truck. There's no time for that, David, she said. We've got to keep going. David had never loved her more, but his fear that he would lose her was just as powerful as the love that poured through him. Okay, he said. He looked at each of them, then faced the mausoleum. Let's go inside. The mausoleum had been standing for over 140 years, and the granite structure had endured the time well. The exterior walls and the two supporting columns were smooth and shiny, as if they had been recently polished. Elaborately sculpted white angels flanked the bronze double doors. Above the doorway, mason had been engraved in large gray letters. Metal handles were set in the thick doors. These doors look heavy as hell, Jalil said. Hope they aren't locked. David grasped the handles. He leaned back and pulled. At first, the doors did not budge. He tried again, and then they loosened. Yet it still required help from Naya and Jalil to force open the entrance. Shadows congregated inside the vestibule. A musty odor hung in the still air. David switched on a flashlight. 
he shunned the beam within. This is the question for me. This is me real quick. If you play video games, because I play video games, if you play video games and you play games where it's like an adventure thing, you always get to that one point where you have to unlock a, a chamber or a a cavern or something like that that's been locked for like 1,500 years or hundreds of years, whatever it may be, right? And so you got to go find the key or you got to go find the code or whatever before you can unlock this cavern or this door or whatever it may be, right? Why is it that when you get inside that area, you still got to fight wolves, soldiers, enemies, whatever else inside this cavern that's been locked for 100 and semi plus years? How are those things surviving inside of here? How are there soldiers in here? How are there people in here? How are there animals in here when there's nothing for them to eat? Never understood that. It was a spacious chamber about the size of a large master bedroom. Six granite tombs stood on stone blocks in the center of the crypt, ranked in a line. Ed Mason's family was buried here, Naya said. Him, his wife, and their three kids. After they died in the slave insurrection, their corpses were found and interred here, like he always wanted. Where's the door to go to the underground place, Jalil said. That's all I want to know. It's hidden, I'm sure, David said. He stepped across the threshold. The others entered behind him. We better close these doors, Jalil said. The mutts are getting up. Indeed, back in the cemetery, the vampiric hounds had begun to stir, like broken toys that had been repaired and gifted with new batteries. David and Jalil grabbed the interior door handles and pulled the door shut, cutting off the daylight. The flashlight was the only light source in the silent vestibule. Naya ran her palms against the walls, searching for an indentation or a lever. Jalil began to do the same along the opposite wall. King sniffed curiously at the tombs. Slowly, David walked, scanning the light beam around. He did not know what he was looking for. Anything out of the ordinary, as if walking inside a family mausoleum was an ordinary task. There's got to be a door somewhere, David said. He noticed King snuffling around a tomb on the far wall. Wait a minute. King, move away from there. Ears raised curiously. The dog edged aside. David shunned the flashlight across the lid of the stone coffin. Large fingerprints were imprinted along the dusty edge. Someone had recently opened the tomb. David looked at Naya. You said Mason... His wife and their three kids were buried in here. But there are six caskets, not five. You're right, Naya said. She came closer. I didn't notice that. David gave the flashlight to Naya. Jalil, help me open this, would you? Naya kept the light over them as they lifted the tomb's heavy lid. The thick cover opened like the hood of a car attached to the heavy casket via a set of steel hinges. The tomb was empty. A circular hole, large enough to admit a man, yawned in the center. The flashlight revealed a set of stone ladder rungs that began along the side of the opening and dropped down into the darkness. David could not see the bottom of the shaft. You've got to be kidding me, Jalil said, dusting his hands on his jeans. We got to go down there. Why can't we lob a bomb down there and call it a day? That won't work, David said. We have to make sure that he's gone. He's right, Naya said. She looked weary, and a pang of anxiety twisted through David. How much time did they have before the vampire poison worked its way through Naya and robbed her of consciousness? Most likely, not much time at all. Jalil groaned. Ugh. All right. This just keeps getting better, doesn't it? Nye peered over the lip of the hole, directing the flashlight down there. I can see the bottom, but barely, she said. My guess is that it's a drop of about 20, 25 feet. David looked too. Yeah, something like that. He stepped back. You don't all have to go. I can go by myself. You can wait up here. 
Negative, Hunter, Nia said. How many times do I have to tell you that I'm with you all the way on this? I'm going, and you can't stop me. So am I, Jalil said. He sighed. I guess. Let's pray to God to stay with us on this one, y'all. David opened his mouth to argue about them following, then stopped, knowing that debating would be fruitless. Already, the three of them had endured so much together. He could not demand that they stand back and watch. Not now. They had already passed the point of no return. But you, King, you're staying up here, David said to the dog, unless you can climb down a ladder. The dog wagged his tail eagerly, as though game for the challenge. But there was no way that David was carrying the dog down there. It was out of the question. Let's lighten our load then, David said. We need to only bring the essentials, guns and explosives. They stuffed the remaining Molotov cocktails, they only had three left, into David's duffel bag. David carried the bag over his shoulder. Jalil carried a shotgun, Nia wore her gun on her hip holster, and David had slid his own pistol at the back of his waist, where it was held snug by his belt. I'll go first, David said. Nia comes after me, and Jalil, you'll bring up the rear. Everyone ready? They nodded. David gazed into the shaft. It was like staring into the throat of a giant monster. We're out of our minds for doing this, he thought. But the thought did not stop him. This had long since ceased to be a rational mission. They were fueled by faith alone. As he looked into the pit, he had an acute understanding of why his ancestor, William Hunter, had never been the same after confronting Diallo in the cave over a century ago. The man, operating on faith and courage, had looked death in the face and survived. And there was little wonder why, afterwards, William had become a legend who dedicated his life to saving others. Why fear man when you would conquer something greater than man? If I live through this, everything's going to change for me, David thought. I don't know how, but it will. He stashed a flashlight inside his shirt pocket, leaving the beam on. He gripped the edge of the tomb, slid his leg over the rim, and found a toehold on a ladder rung. He swung his other leg over, balanced that foot on the rung too. Then he clutched the ladder in both hands. The stone was cool and dry. It's steady, he said, but take your time. He began to descend. The sound of his breathing echoed in the shaft. The walls, revealed in the backsplash of the flashlight, were smooth, yet corroded in spots. Above him, Naya positioned herself on the rungs and began to climb down. Jalil came soon after. The combined noise of her breathing was disturbingly loud. David had given up any hope that they would take Diallo by surprise, unless the beast slumbered in a soundproof coffin. Abruptly, one side of the shaft's wall ended. They were nearing the bottom. After he passed the next rung, his foot touched solid ground. He moved away from the ladder. He shunned the flashlight around. He was at the end of a long tunnel. It was about the width of a hallway in a large house, with a ceiling perhaps eight feet high. Several dark doorways branched off from the main corridor. The area reeked of damp earth and old dust. Naya, then Jalil, pushed away from the ladder and joined them, their footsteps echoing in the passageway. Damn, Jalil said in a whisper. So Ed Mason had his own little crib down here, huh? Yeah, Naya whispered. But which room will we find him in? We're staying together. David said. We'll check in each one. We can't risk being separated. He was about to ask them to draw their weapons, but they automatically did so without him speaking a word. David gripped the flashlight in his left hand. In his right, he held the thirty-eight. It was so quiet in the tunnel that they might have been a thousand feet under the earth. He was drenched in cold, sticky sweat. But his mouth was dry, and when he ran his tongue over his lips, it felt like steel wool scraping across his skin. They crept down the corridor with the stealthy ghosts. He felt, rather than heard, Naya and Jalil moving behind him. Does Diallo feel it's coming too? Is he toying with us by allowing us to hunt him like this? 
It was impossible to predict what their vampire nemesis had in store for them. He swept the light beam into the first chamber. The room was full of old tables and chairs, and wooden crates that likely stored more comfort items. Edward Mason had planned to create a cozy home for himself down here. But no living creature was inside. He shook his head to indicate to Naya and Jalil that nothing important was in there. Silently, he moved towards the next room. Naya was determined to stay on her feet. She did not tell David and Jalil the degree of her pain. Her bitten leg throbbed, the bite burning as though the wound had been soaked in acid. Worse, a cold numbness had begun to spread throughout her thigh. She knew it would be only a matter of time before the numbness consumed her entire body and she lost consciousness, like the others who had fallen to the vampires. I can't let that happen to me, she thought. God, I can't let that happen. We've been through too much for me to fall before we reach the end. She gripped the revolver so tightly that her flesh seemed to be fused to the metal. She kept the muzzle directed towards the ceiling, ready to bring it down and start shooting the moment she sensed danger. David walked ahead of her. He had taken on a superhuman responsibility, and she admired and loved him for it. She would not let any harm come to him. She would sacrifice herself to protect this man, and she knew in her heart that he would do the same for her. David directed the light inside the next room. He shook his head. Empty. Pain sizzled through her leg. She winced and continued forward. Jalil wanted this to be over. He hated that they had to climb down into this tunnel. He understood why it was necessary, but he hated it all the same. He hated those vampires. He hated what had happened to Dad. He hated everything that he had seen. He didn't know what motivated David and I to keep going, but for him, it was simple. Hate. Or maybe anger was more accurate. He didn't know. He couldn't identify his own emotions anymore, but it was easier for him to feed on anger and hate than it was for him to give in to the storm of other, more painful feelings that churned just below the surface of his thoughts. He could not afford to be weak. His fingers tingled on a shotgun. Man, he wanted to blow away that bastard Diallo so bad. Diallo was the reason why all this crap was happening. Nothing would please Jalil more than seeing Diallo's lunatic brain splattered against the wall. But where was he? They had checked two rooms so far, and all they had found was a bunch of old furniture and boxes. Jalil looked over his shoulder every few seconds to make sure no one ambushed him from behind. He glanced at the ceiling, too. He had learned his lesson. They could be attacked from anywhere. But the bloodsucker asshole had to know that they were down there searching for him. He had all those crazy powers and probably sensed them when they first came to the graveyard. So where was he? What was he waiting for? I've got something for you, Jalil said. I don't care how powerful you are. I'm not going out without plugging some lead into your vampire ass. Shotgun ready. He pressed onward. David flashed the wand of light inside the third room. Like the other chambers they had seen, it was full of only furniture and crates. Don't drop your guard, he reminded himself. Don't relax and get careless. There are a few more places for us to check out. He shook his head, signaling that there was nothing of interest inside. He turned back to the main passageway. As though the corridor had suddenly become a wind tunnel, a blast of cold wind picked him up and hurtled him forward. He shouted in surprise. He heard Nia and Jalil yelling too. The roaring gale flung him into the chamber at the far end of the tunnel. He smacked against a wall, the impact cracking through his body. The flashlight fell out of his hand and rolled across the floor, the lens broken, but the yellow light still alive. He dropped the gun too. Nia and Jalil tumbled on top of him in a tangled heap. Jalil swore viciously, and Nia moaned in pain. Desperate to get his hands on the firearm and the flashlight, David struggled from under their bodies. He crawled across the cold floor, grabbed the gun, then he reached for the flashlight. An invisible force snatched it away from him and threw it against the wall. Glass shattered. The light winked out.
Above him, an unearthly, blood-red glow blazed into life, like a crimson strobe light. The strange luminescence brightened most of the vast room, which seemed to be the size of a high school gym. Because of the ghostly light, the walls, floor, and ceiling appeared to be painted with blood. Diallo stood in the middle of the chamber, face tilted upward, arms outspread, basking in the crimson rays. As David regarded the vampire, he questioned their sanity for thinking they could defeat this monster. He was a giant whose powers defied explanation. What chance did they have against him? Nye and Jalil slowly got to their feet. They wore the same awestruck expression that David was certain was on his face, too. Diallo lowered his head and glowered at him. All of you are brave, Diallo said. His deep, melodic voice reverberated through the room. You've had assistance from Leisha, my former companion as well. But that's not enough to save you. Jalil was the first to shake off the temporary paralysis to pinch the three of them and attack. He jerked up the shotgun, aimed, and fired. The boom of the gunshot echoed harshly. Diallo took the hit in the chest. The giant rocked backwards slightly, but he did not fall. A single shot would not be nearly enough to destroy him. David did not plan to wait for Diallo to make the next move. Raising the thirty-eight, he squeezed off one, two, three shots. Miraculously, each shot hit the target, plowing into Diallo's chest. In his peripheral vision, David spied Naya. She was shooting at Diallo. Jalil had pumped the shotgun and began to fire again, too. The vampire quaked under the barrage of gunfire. Staggering, he brought up his arms to shield himself. He growled like a grizzly bear snaring the trap. We're going to beat him, David thought, with a burst of giddy optimism. It's not going to be as hard as we thought. Diallo vanished. One second, he cowered under the onslaught of bullets. The next instant, he was gone. Accurate smoke, drifting from their hot firearms, curled through the air. The blood-red orb that hovered above them continued to pulse like a monstrous heart. We didn't kill him, David thought. Anxiety nodded his gut. He should have known better than to think finishing Diallo would be so easy. Where is he? Jalil said. He's still here, somewhere. I can feel it. Rich laughter thundered over them. <laughs> David spun around, searching, but he did not see Diallo. The laughter filled the room, as though rolling from surround sound speakers hidden inside the walls. He's playing with us, Naya said. We didn't hurt the bastard at all. He's not invincible, David said, desperately. He looked at Naya and Jalil. Their frightened faces washed in crimson light. If he could make them believe that they could win, maybe he could believe it too. Listen, we can kill him. In a dark flash, Diallo reappeared in front of Naya and Jalil. He captured each of them in his gigantic hands, his fingers closing over their throats. They screamed. Ah! David whipped around the gun, but he was too slow to prevent what happened. With the speed of a viper, Diallo bit each of them in the neck. No! David fired. He struck Diallo's shoulder. Diallo stumbled, then tossed Naya and Jalil to the floor as if they were rag dummies. Diallo smiled malevolently. Sweet Naya have been bitten by one of my hounds, but the blood requires hours to work when delivered from them. When I deliver to bite myself, the life force travels rapidly, Hunter. Both the boy and the woman belong to me now. Moaning, Nye and Jalil ride on the floor. No, David said. It's not going to end like this. He attempted to shoot the vampire again. Diallo knocked the weapon out of his hands. He seized David by the front of his shirt. David punched him, but his fists were so useless against the monster that he might as well have been slugging an oak tree. Diallo lifted him high into the air. The vampire's black eyes, laminated with red light, were bottomless pools of oblivion. Terror made David so dizzy, he almost passed out. 
He clenched his fists, digging his nails into his palms, and the sharp pain was enough to keep him focused. The stench of death poured from the Diallo's mouth, like flames from the lips of a dragon. Who are you to prevent the fulfillment of my destiny, Diallo said. You are the descendant of a courageous man, but he did not destroy me, and neither will you. Your family's legacy ends here, Hunter. Diallo hurled David across the room. David cracked against the stone wall, and he heard something in his body snap. Crying out, he slid to the floor. It was his left arm. The bones were shattered. Diallo bellowed victoriously. Against the far wall, Jalil and Nia were curled in a fetal position. Whimpering, they rolled back and forth slowly, suffering the terrible metamorphosis into vampirism. It's over, David thought, trembling in pain and anger. He tasted blood. He'd probably lost a tooth. He spotted the duffel bag on the ground, only a few feet away. It contained explosives that they hadn't used. But what did it matter anymore? They had lost. Nye and Jalil would become creatures of the night, and he was going to die. Scalding tears coursed down his cheeks. Fangs bared, Diallo strolled towards him to finish him off. It's over. Everything we did, it was all for nothing. I wasn't called here to finish an important duty. I was called here to die. Closing in on him, Diallo hissed. Suddenly, the red glow in the chamber brightened to a brilliant white. Diallo stopped, grunting in confusion. He turned to face the light. David, though he was blasted with agony, looked too. It was an apparition of a black woman. Ethereally beautiful, clothed in shimmering ivory garments. She floated beneath the orb of white light like an angel. David did not recognize the woman. But Diallo was stunned. The vampire shuffled closer to the vision, then dropped to his knees. In a voice full of reverence and awe, he uttered the name, Mariama. He had forgotten about David. It was the only opportunity David needed. David log rolled across the floor, forcing himself to endure the pain in his crushed arm. He snagged the duffel bag with his good hand, ripped down the zipper, Diallo did not notice him. The vampire had his back to David as he bowed before the mysterious specter. He murmured words that David could not hear. David dug inside the sack. He grasped a Molotov cocktail fashioned from a whiskey bottle. He lit the cloth fuse with a cigarette lighter and praying that his aim would be true, flung the bottle at Diallo. The bomb struck Diallo and exploded and the vampire was suddenly on fire. Mariama. The sight of Mariama brought Diallo to his knees. He had waited so long to see her again, had long nurtured a naive hope that he would be granted another chance to speak to her. And here she was, as the woman seer had foretold. And how beautiful she was. She was like a goddess. Her luminescent beauty rendered him nearly speechless. Emotion lodged in his throat like a hot coal, and he found it difficult to even draw breath. Mariama, Diallo said when he could finally speak clearly. It's been so, so long. Love shone in her angelic eyes, yet sadness too. Why are you doing this, my love? She asked him. You've caused so much pain since we've been apart. I remembered you as a kind, gentle man. But I'm not a man anymore, he said. I'm greater than man. Man is responsible for my losing you. I will never forgive men for that transgression. But you have no peace, Diallo. Your soul is like a turbulent sea. He shook his head. So it is. And so it will be. Until my mission is done. Please, come to me, my husband. Come into my arms and find peace. Mariama's voice was like the sweetest honey and her words conjured the dreams that he had been frightened to believe could ever come true. Dreams of a life of peace, comfort, and a return to their long-lost home. No, you romantic fool.
he thought. You can never go home again. Your home has been destroyed by men. Destroy them. Drench the world in their vile blood. But Mariama smiled at him. And her pure, glorious smile was like a promise of peace and everlasting happiness. Did he dare to believe that his dreams could come true? As he pondered the dilemma, teeth of fire tore into him. Diallo howled. Mariama's body flickered like a candle flame about to die. No! He could not lose her, not again, no! In spite of the ravenous fire, he rushed towards Mariama, arms spread wide to embrace her before he lost her again. He could not bear to lose her again. It would kill him. But Mariama vanished. Burning, wailing in anguish, Diallo crashed into the wall. The fire devoured him, as he had devoured the lives of so many during his century-spanning rampage. All for nothing. What I thought was my destiny to cleanse the world was only the demented mission of the mad. Diallo gave up life at last, and surrender his soul to whatever fate awaited him in the beyond. The fire consumed the vampire. As the creature died, the globe of bright light slowly faded too. Numb with pain, weary, David trudged where Nye and Jalil lay curled on the ground. He was afraid of what he would find. Was it too late to save them? Nye coughed. <coughs> Her eyes opened, and they were honey-brown and blessedly normal. You're alive, he said, and human. You better believe it, baby, she said. Her voice was raspy. I was almost a goner, but then you did something. Yeah, David said. He might never learn the identity of the ghost, and why seeing it had mesmerized Diallo. Someone did something. We're safe now. Coughing, Jalil sat up. Hey, can we get out of here now? I'm serious. I can't take it down here anymore. I can't think of a better idea, David said. Let's go. Climbing the ladder out of the hideaway was a challenge for David, who had the use of only one arm. Naya wrapped her arm around him and assisted him. It was a tiring climb, but they had accomplished harder tasks lately. King awaited them in the vestibule. The dog pounced on him ecstatically, wagging his tail. Easy boy, David said. Your daddy's got a bad arm here. Naya and Jalil pushed open the mausoleum doors. Sunlight flooded the room. They shuffled outside. Fresh air never tastes so good, Jalil said. A few feet away from the entrance, three mounds of ashes covered the ground. David instantly recognized them as the remains of the vampiric hounds. So it's true, Naya said. Everyone that Diallo had infected with his life force, they're gone now. Yes, David said. Everyone. The three of them were silent. Then they came into each other's arms and wept. They walked to the Pathfinder. The vehicle had been undisturbed in their absence. The raven stood in the same spot on the monument as if it had not budged once while they were away. Thank you, Leisha, David said, for everything. The bird held his gaze for a beat. Then it uttered a shrill cry, leapt into the air, and soared away. A breeze wafted through the cemetery. Golden sunlight warmed the morning. David spotted a group of about a dozen people walking on the other side of the street. They looked as if they were surveying the town. A man appeared to be leading the crowd. That's Reverend Brown, David said. Sure is, Jalil said. Guess they were safe at the church last night. The Reverend waved at them. David lifted his good arm and waved back. A service vehicle for a utility company rolled past, engine grumbling. Looks like people are here to clean up and put things back to normal, David said. You're right. They're here to clean up, Naya said. But nothing will ever be normal in Dark Corner again. Epilogue. In the end. Three weeks later, 
David, Nia, and Jalil left Atlanta, where they had been staying in David's home, and returned to Dark Corner. They went to retrieve their belongings, and to pay their respects to the lost. The loss was how the news media had taken to describing the town residents, who mysteriously vanished over Labor Day weekend. Previously, Mason's Corner had been noteworthy only as the hometown of his famous native son, Richard Hunter. But the town gained a sudden, unwelcome notoriety when news of the displaced residents leaked out. Those who continued to live in Mason's Corner refused to discuss with the media what had happened, stating only that a terrible storm came and wrecked havoc on their quiet hometown. They claimed that they did not know where the loss had gone, and shut their doors when pressed to answer further questions. David had followed the media coverage from Atlanta. After three weeks, when the media's interest waned in the taciturn residents and the news crews moved on to fresher stories elsewhere, he told Nia and Jalil that it was time for them to go back. Neither of them was surprised. They understood that they had unresolved business to handle there. They drove back on an overcast Saturday. Nia drove as David's arm was still healing. Throughout most of the drive, they were in good spirits, enjoying the family-like camaraderie they had developed. When they drew within 10 miles of Mason's Corner, however, they grew quiet. When they entered the city limits, the only sound to be heard within the SUV was the music playing on the stereo. This place looks a lot like it did when I first came here, David thought. Main Street had been cleaned up. The broken windows were placed. Cars and trucks drove back and forth along the road. People walked in and out of shops. But there were differences, and they went beyond the orange-red autumn leaves. Everyone appeared to be in a hurry, as if afraid to meander outdoors for too long. Many of the storefronts had bars across the windows, and the residents who took note of them driving through the town regarded them not with curiosity, but with quick, anxious glances. I can never live here again, Nia said in a brittle voice. Yeah, Jalil mumbled. Me neither. Perched on the hill on the east side of town, Jubilee gazed down on them. An ineradicable scar. David's chest tightened. He looked away from the house. They reached the park. The three of them and King climbed out. With his left arm encased in a heavy cast, David grasped Nia's fingers with his right hand as they strolled along the grass. They had first met here. He would never forget that day. As he looked into her eyes, he knew she was thinking the same thoughts. They stopped in a quiet corner of the park. Jalil sat down the potted magnolia sapling that he had been carrying. They planted the magnolia there, in the rich soil. Finished, they formed a circle around the young tree. Jalil had written a poem, entitled Always, to dedicate the tree to those friends and strangers alike, who had been lost when the darkness had fallen over the town. He recited the bittersweet poem from memory. He had spent many hours preparing for this day. By the time Jalil finished speaking, tears trickled down his face. He lowered his head. David took him into his arms and held him. The next morning, after spending the night at a hotel in South Haven, they rented a U-Haul trailer, hooked it to the rear of the SUV, and went to each of their family's homes to pick up the items they wanted to bring back to Atlanta. They visited Jalil's place first, then Naya's. They arrived last at the Hunter family home. David was crossing the sidewalk, lugging a suitcase packed with clothes to the trailer, when a champagne Lincoln limousine slid down the street and parked in front of the house. Frowning, he placed the luggage on the ground. A chauffeur, attired in a formal black suit and a cap, stepped outside the limousine. He nodded at David, strode to the rear passenger door, and pulled it open in a reverential manner, as though he were serving a member of royalty. Two figures slipped out of the limo. The first was a tall, lean black man who wore shades, an elegant hat, and a fine dark suit. For a reason that David could not define, the man was familiar looking. But the second person was a stunner, an exquisitely beautiful black woman, clothed in a midnight blue dress and a matching wide-brimmed hat. She wore a pair of tinted glasses, too. 
After all that he had experienced, David thought that it would be impossible for him to ever be shocked again, but he felt as though he had closed his hand over a live wire. The woman's movements were so smooth that she appeared to glide across the distance between them. It's you, he said breathlessly. The ancient vampire, Leisha, smiled. I had received word that you had returned, she said. I had intended to visit the town, to see it with my own eyes, and what better time to come than when you will be present. His mouth was dry. I, I don't know what to say. All I can say is, thank you for helping us. I don't know why you did it, but I'm glad that you did. Diallo was a cancer upon the earth, she said. He would have consumed this world had I not intervened. In the process, his ill-advised actions would have drawn attention to our kind and brought destruction and misery upon us all. I can never allow such a disaster. David nodded. So you use me to save yourself. What about your son, Kyle? Kyle had too much of his father in him. He would have become a problem in his own right in time. What kind of mother could so callously dismiss her own son? David realized how inhuman this creature really was. Although she looked like a woman and had a woman's voice and a sweet feminine scent, there was nothing genuinely human about her. She was as alien as a species that might have been found at the edge of the galaxy. She appeared to have sensed his opinion of her and looked amused. You would have to live millennia to understand, my child. Humans place their hope in heavenly salvation. But my only religion is self-preservation. Alien. He would never understand her and wasn't entirely sure he wanted to either. Okay. Can I ask you one thing? David said. The ghost that Diallo saw before he died. Who was it? That was not my doing, child, Leisha said. Every soul has its hopes. Even the soul of a monster such as Diallo. I don't get it. It's not relevant for you to understand. You have fulfilled your family's legacy, David Hunter. Be proud of that. Not all of those in your bloodline were quite as capable. You're very special. David blushed. Well, thank you. Leisha reached forward and touched his cheek with her long, slender fingers. Her touch was warm. One day, she whispered, perhaps we'll meet again. Until then, someone else would like to converse with you. She smiled and, in a swirl of silk, whirled around and returned inside the limousine. The curiously familiar man who had been waiting beside the vehicle approached David. David's heart boomed. The man's walk, it was too familiar. His hands, too familiar. Then, when his lips broadened into a smile, recognition hit David like a club against his temple. It was his father. Richard Hunter removed his shades. David stuttered. What? What am I doing here with Leisha? Richard said, his voice as suave as ever. I'm her companion, of course. That can't be, David said. Certainly his eyes were fooling him, or he was a victim of a cruel prank. You died at sea. A disappearing act, son. His father said, Madam Leisha has resources and connections that will boggle the mind. Bullshit. You're lying to me, like you always do. Richard only smiled, characteristically impervious to insults. His eyes were familiar, yet strange. The irises were darker and deeper, it seemed, as if something cold and alien had taken residence in his body. I'm dismayed that you didn't suspect it all along, David, his father said. You found one of her letters to me, correct? It was underneath the nightstand drawer in the master bedroom. But that was written by someone named Elizabeth, David said. His head throbbed. This was really too much for him. This was it. He was going to lose it. Richard smiled. Come now, son. You're cleverer than that. Leisha? Elizabeth? She employed a childishly transparent nom de plume. What about the photo you took at the Mason place? Merely a shot for an interview in a literary magazine. Nothing of great importance. They wanted me to pose near a local landmark. Richard chuckled. 
You made this much more complicated than you needed to, David. The truth was always very simple. But why did you do it, David said. Do you need to ask, Richard said. When I left behind my mortal life, I provided all the financial benefits that you and your mother could ever wish for. And I get to enjoy everlasting life as a companion of a fabulously beautiful and wise creature. Do you think that was a difficult decision for me to make? You would have done the same thing if you were given the opportunity. David shook his head. He felt ill. So it was all about what you wanted for yourself as always. Just so you know, I'm doing fine without your fortune. You can take it back. I don't want it. Dispose of it as you wish, Richard said. It's no longer a concern of mine. I did not come here to revive old domestic squabbles. I only want to tell you that I'm proud of what you did. Richard paused. You've grown into an admirable man, David. And, well, more of a man than I ever was. David only stared at him. His father awkwardly patted him on the shoulder. He replaced his shades and strolled to the limousine. The driver closed the passenger door, then got behind the wheel. The limousine disappeared down the street. David felt as though he had been punished by a boxer. His head hurt. His stomach ached. He wanted nothing more than to lie down, sleep for two days, and forget that this incident had ever happened. Numb, he shuffled back to the house. Naya stepped outside and met him on the porch. Who were those people, she said. I feel strange saying this, but that man, he kind of looked like your father. No, David said. He pulled Naya into his arms, desperately needing to feel someone who was indisputably real and lasting in his life. He held her so close that he felt the throbbing of her heart against his chest. I thought it was my father, but my father's dead. He kissed her. And they walked inside the house together. He awoke in darkness. His eyes were sore. His vision blurry. Yet they adjusted sufficiently to the gloom for him to recognize his surroundings. He was in the cave. You will live, his father promised him. Implanting the thought in his soul like a command. His consciousness hovered above his fire-ravaged corpse, as though he were the guardian spirit of his own body. He had watched his father carry him in his arms through the night. His father had brought him to the cave. His father had opened a cut in his own wrist and let the magical blood trickle into his ruined mouth. You will live, his father promised, but to live, you must sleep. In the depths of the cave, his father dug a grave for him. Tenderly, he placed the body in the earthen pit, covering him with a blanket of raw earth. Sleep, my son, and live. So he had slept. He did not know how long he had been asleep. Not long enough. Not yet. Although he had poked his head through the surface of the dirt and his vision functioned, much of his physical body continued to slowly work through the regeneration process. No one had ever resurrected a vampire from death. His father had performed a miracle. I will live, my father. I promise you. His gaze traveled across the limestone walls. Above him, he discovered the inscription that his father had engraved in the rock well over a century ago. I will live. And I shall rise again to slay my enemies. So... It always interests me that David really didn't get any closure from his father, just more excuses. But I mean, I would have done it too. Eternal life, I take care of my kid, I take care of my family, and I guess he was prepping his son to be ready for the life he would have to live as a vampire hunter. I don't know what abandonment actually led to, but maybe he thought that he would grow soft. Because, you know, this is that kind of book. He would have thought he would have grown soft if he hadn't, if he had been in his life and he had lived the rich life. Maybe. I don't know. But I love this book. I love it to pieces and I hope y'all loved it too. Um, 
916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook, leave a review on Podchaser, copy and paste that in the uh, Apple Podcast, copy and paste that in the Good Pods. Thank you to each and every one of y'all who have listened to me on Good Pods and on Podchaser, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you to y'all who have listened to me on Spotify, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you to y'all who have listened to me on Apple Podcasts, I greatly appreciate it. Um, you could donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or on buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip. All the money goes towards buying books for this show or for movies for hindsight. I greatly appreciate each and every one of y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.